Well, I sent my podcast out for thee with a hey, hoy, a wind and a rain. It's Nick Hurgis saw the podcast here. A hey, it raineth every day. By the pricking of my thumbs, a wicked podcast this way comes. Where's the place? The Chichester New Park Cinema, is that the name? Yes. Upon the Heath, there to meet with my mother. Uh, welcome back to Heard You Saw. Um, I'm Nick and I'm joined today. Uh, do you want to be Mum or Tacey, which is, you know, like, I don't know, for the stats. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think just say, I'm your mum, so. I'm, in, I'm joined by my mum. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, and we have just seen uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth. Um, we begin, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, actually, Mum. I mean, technically you were in the Princess Switch 3 when you walked into Zoe's room and surprised her while we were recording, <laughs> which we did leave in. I thought about editing it out, but it was an enjoyable, organic moment. Oh, God. <laughs> but I think prior to that, well, I can't remember the last episode that you were on. No, it's a while. It's a while. Was it the yeah. Cats again? Which would have been No, what? no, no. I did do Cats. Well, you were on the cast, though, because you were in the room while we were talking, so that counts as an appearance. Um... <laughs> You know, by the way, you may be pleased to hear that um, the episode that we, you and I did about um, that you were on with Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, is our most listened to episode by quite some margin. Oh, <laughs> that's not nice. It is, it is. Um, so as it's been a while, you may, I'll just refresh you with the format of the show. We begin, as ever, with a round of one-line hot takes, wherein we try to surmise our initial feelings, thoughts, or, you know, general vibe on the film in a short one-line pithy phrase or sound noises coming out of face kind of thing so mum can i ask you for your one line hot take of macbeth by joel cohen black and white true yes completely accurate um i am gonna say my one line hot take was um well this was aggressively my sort of thing and i didn't expect to love minimalism as much as i did in this because boy did this fucking work it was really fucking like, mm, really hit me. It was good. Um, so the plot is Macbeth. And <laughs> I don't think we really need to necessarily, you know, recount the plot of Macbeth. It was Macbeth with, with a twist. With a kind of soft, slight, yeah. Slight twist. Yeah, with some variations in there of the standard thing. Um, to recount the premise, um, Macbeth, the Thane, or Lord of Glamis, and his friend Banquo encounter three witches on their way back from battle, who prophesy that Macbeth will become not only Thane of Cawdor, but later the king, while Banquo will become the um, father of a new line of kings. Uh, Macbeth gets it into his creepy little head that he's going to give destiny a bit of a push on and commits the murder of the king, and so begins a descent into tragedy and madness um, that was written, you know, pushing 400 years ago, well, more than 400 years ago at this point, right? Um... Because it's, it's 1640 it's, something, right? 1640, no, 1603. He wrote it for James. He... Uh, so this is why I have you on the show, Mum, because you know things about history. Because I'm a dumb widow baby. <laughs> um, so that is the premise. So I think this was kind of an on-the-whim screening for us. Like, I didn't know this film existed until you suggested it to me. No, really? No, I literally had not heard of it. Oh, my goodness. Um, no, I um, well, I saw the trailer when I was at the New Park Cinema last time, mm. and I thought, ooh, and then <laughs> I read a review of it, and I thought, this does sound good. Yeah. Um, and it's it's worth mentioning, I think, Nick, that you and I, with other friends, 
saw John <laughs> Sims Macbeth at Chichester Festival Theatre. Yes. About three, oh gosh, it must have been it must have been 2019, wasn't it? Just before the pandemic. Yeah, it was because we weren't wearing masks, and it no, was and, uh, yeah. And everybody who was in that party to see it mm. was just like. Oh my God! And like, and to be clear, we're all fans of John Sim. A super fans. A very very good actor, you know, and we like Macbeth. And yeah. you know, the Chichester Festival Theatre has put on many a good production of many a different but play this in didn't its time. Work. No. Yeah, we'll just draw a veil there. Yeah. Um, Would you say that this was a nice sort of you know refresher of Ch- you know Chichester based Macbeth for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It it this was very good. Um. You remember, obviously, further back, we went to see um, Macbeth with Sean Bean. Yes. Which was amazing. It was really, really good, yeah. And there were bits of, obviously, you know, amazingly, because that was like real life, mm. Sean Bean was in colour, yeah. and this was entirely black and white. Yes. Um, and obviously, But there were bits of this that did remind me of that, because it was very hard-edged and a lot of use of darkness yeah, in that. Very much so, yeah. Um, so it was, and that I'd always thought was like the best Beth I've seen, but, um, and I still think it's the best theatre one, but this was fantastic. This was very, very good. Yeah. I think I, I, as a little entry point, I think I do want to talk about the way that this film handled violence, because I thought, because one of the things about Macbeth is that, you know, it's a tragedy. It's also a fairly violent you know, Shakespeare play as they go. It's not Titus Andronicus, but then few things are. Um, I thought, you know, the one you do have the fact that it's all in black and white is that you don't get, you know, ah, the blood on the hands. Mm. Because, like, I've seen, you know, I was going to say the last time I'd seen Macbeth prior to the John Sim one is I saw it at, in the um, Sam Wanamaker Playhouse at the Globe, um, wherein, you know, um, friend of the show, Liz, hi, Liz, if you're listening, um, who was working as stage manager at the time, one of her jobs is that, when um, Banquo had to like leave the stage and walk around the outside to reappear through the front, he would just drip blood off of all of the wounds that they got on him, and she had to follow behind him, like sweep, 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 just make sure that there was no blood just left in the auditorium. Um, so I'm I'm used to Macbeth being quite a bloody affair, and I was struck by how, with all the shades of grey, you know, there was darkness, but even then, it was a fifteen rating, and I think it was very careful to not to suggest violence rather than depict it like take for example when macbeth killed duncan brilliant scene um so macbeth played by denzel washington is murdering uh duncan played by brendan gleason and normally in the you know in most versions of macbeth that i've seen you have him do the whole you know is this a dagger and then walk into the thing you know, and then you hard cut to Lady Macbeth because that's the next line of dialogue being like, oh, did I hear a shriek? Did someone say, oh, you know. And But in this, they have a scene which is completely silent where Duncan wakes up and he sees him sitting there and then he puts his fingers to his lips and then reaches out and then puts a hand over his mouth and like stabs him in the neck. But it was cut in such a way that like there wasn't nearly as much blood as you'd expect. Um, Two comments there. Yeah, go for it. One was that did you notice that, um, I mean, he did that, as you said, that was a very striking scene with the use of the finger on the Did you notice that the finger on the lips was a repeated motif yeah. throughout the rest of the film? Mm. Um, I think we have to mention here the main in, the main innovation, apart from the use of extra cut scenes like that, yeah, silence, yeah. which worked very well, yeah. was the use of um, Bertie Carvel yes. playing this 
character who reminded me a little bit of Will Young for some reason. <laughs> he did have that look around him with the very big expressive eyes. Yeah. Um, who who was constantly appearing and um, as a sort of deus ex machina. And I wondered, especially at the end, when he seemed to sort of disappear in the cloud of birds, birds mm. being another motif of the witches all the yeah. way through, whether he was meant to be like an agent of the witches. Or maybe, something like that. Because yeah. he spoke to the, you know, the old man in mm. air quotes, which was, you know, the witch. Um, and like he gave, gave, he'd given them money to take care of Fleance and everything. Yeah. Like his character was cobbled together out of other smaller characters that are in the play, but are usually all played by, you know, individual extras, you know, doing different things and aren't meant to be the same person. Mm. And he was also, the very interesting change they made with him was him being present at Banquo's murder. Yes. And specifically chasing after Fleance and then deliberately sparing him. And with the, again, you know, the finger on the uh, lips yeah. and that. Yeah. It, it was interesting because it added this sort of like, I didn't quite know how to feel about his character no, for some of it. I, I thought that he was at first act meant to be acting as like a representative of um, Macbeth's bad conscience and mm. that he was doing the extra deeds. But then he seemed, I think he was meant to be like an agency of the witches. Possibly. But then the thing that, the thing that threw me for that, because I was kind of thinking in that direction as well, like, you know, he's sort of the executor of destiny. But the the fact that they gave him the um, lines when he went to see Macduff's wife. Oh gosh, wife, yes, that doesn't fit, does it? Yeah, because it's like he felt very connected to that character because he calls her cousin and everything. Yeah. And like he sees the you know the oncoming horde coming, but he still leaves. It felt, and then he is similarly the messenger who goes to Macduff yeah. to tell him. Which you know, I just want as a brief aside, Mac, the guy who played Macduff absolutely smashed that scene. Like he did such a good job. Yes, I was just like, oh. Making me feel it. Um, I, I felt the weakest performance. Um, I mean, it's a, not a good role. It's a difficult role. I, I You know, my very limited theatrical experience, I've had roles like this, mm. was Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm's a bit of a... Eh, he's, just, he's there. <laughs> I did feel that... I just didn't feel any interest. I felt the standard of performance was amazing. Mm. And I just felt Malcolm was stood out as being even more meh. I mean, I think the thing, again, the the scene I just mentioned with, like, Macduff mm. hearing the news of his family being killed, I think that really highlighted Malcolm's near, because I thought he was quite good in the scene where he, him and Donald Blaine decide to flee to England and yes, Ireland. Yes, I did. I thought they did a good job with that scene, yeah. but the problem was is that Macduff was going so, was doing so well. And so passionate. Yeah, and, like, really selling, like, the emotion of that, yeah. and it was very sort of intense, and I was like, and he was kind of like, I'm also here, you know, sort of yeah. awkward pat, like but he's not it, really it, sure how to block him. It, it just, it just, that didn't work. That was like a weak scene. I mean. Or it, rather a strong scene, but with a, a pointed scene, weak element. But with, yeah. but with a weak element. Yes, that's better. So um, I think we should perhaps probably, though, Zoe would say, let, can we talk about, yeah. um, I, I thought um, Francis McDermott as Lady Macbeth was gobsmackingly stunning yeah i also noticed from the credits she was also a producer yes yeah which was interesting which suggests that it, you know because i know that she's worked with the cohen brothers on a lot of other projects because she's in um burn after reading she's in fargo she's in uh their yes, most recent film which i forget the name like you know she's got a lot of history with them so mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like her being like hey joel do you want to 
what if we did Macbeth? You know. Um, but yeah, no, she was excellent. Like, really, really excellent. I thought the way that she... Because Lady Macbeth, obviously, tremendous fun role. But I was impressed by how her, like, you know, she didn't play it too big. Like, it wasn't, like, pantomime It was very, like, kind... Because the, you know, the language is, you know, oh, unsex me, fill me to the brim with your worst torments, etc. And all that kind of stuff. And, like, I would take the babe from my breast and dash his brains against the wall. Have I, excuse me, sworn to do so? And it's, like, it's very powerful, evocative language but i was really impressed with how she managed to keep it on this very sort of human affect mm. and stuff and like didn't get too lost in the part yes i thought that was interesting because as you say what she's saying is horrendous mm. and also at that point macbeth is still kind of dragging his feet yeah um so she's really got to drive the sort of forward yeah but it's as you say it shouldn't come over as like pantomimic yeah and um she somehow managed to deliver it and make it sound completely plausible yeah i thought she her delivery was absolutely immaculate i thought also she had excellent chem um chemistry with denzel washington i think like because he i was really impressed with him actually because at first i was a bit like i don't think i quite know what you're doing but it was in that scene where he's like having the doubts that I was like, oh, I can kind of see what you're doing with the character now. Because he felt a little bit understated, very passive in the sort of opening scenes mm. a bit. Because he does the quite wise thing of saving all of his big performative energy towards the end when, you know, Macbeth is fucking losing it. So he takes has a bit of a slower build. But I felt that their dynamic really worked yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it was clear that... I, I'm sure that, um, having seen that she was the executive producer, I would imagine that she probably had quite a strong say about, you know, that she wanted to work with him. Yeah. Because clearly the two of them had really thought about the relationship mm. and they were really um, comfortable with each other. You know, they, they, they was, they, you know, these two were working together. You yeah. Know, it was very strong. Um, but I, I, I mean you were saying about the special shape and you can talk about that, you know, the fact that they chose to have the shape screen. But oh, yes. The, yeah. the set, mm. um, the set that they did it on, all the concrete and the steps and these brilliant arches. The arches were incredible. It, like, and also lit so well. That's yeah, the key thing. Like, yeah, the, lighting the lighting was astonishing. Was amazing. Yeah. And the way that things melted into being something else mm. was stunning. Mm. I mean, the... Um, I really like the one that really wow. like sold me very early on um, was after she's read the letter from Macbeth explaining about the prophecy and she lights it on fire and she walks out to yeah. the balcony and then she throws it away. The letter blows away into the night sky, which is clearly like a set sky. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's black with an impossibly huge number of stars. But and then it pans down from that to Duncan's camp before they make their leave to head to Macbeth's castle. And I was so like, that's not only a really good scene transition, but I like that we're not trying to make this feel real. Yeah. It felt very like, you know, we are, it, it, it was very minimalist, you know, obviously black and white adds to that because it's like large blocks of light and shadow. Like, you know, it's very clear, really fun cinematography of just like building a really solid shape and being like, yes. And there was minimal like natural sets. Like, I think if, if I was going to make my one of my biggest criticisms of it is I felt like, they obviously reused the set with the trees where like 
Macduff had his excellent scene of being told the news of his children, and then that also doubles for, you know, um, Burnham Wood, like, shortly after. We're like, well, they're still in England, surely. Like, that slightly I messed actually, with my immersion a little. I, I actually thought that these the trees in the background, not... Um, the trees in, in those two scenes yeah. looked to me to be a giant photograph that they were standing in front of. Yeah. Whereas um, at the end, when Macbeth was in the climactic final scene mm. and the pillars of the of the room that he was in were becoming trees. Yeah. That was fantastic. That was so good. All the leaves blew into yeah. the window. Like yeah. that was great. But the, the, I thought that that bit with the reuse of what was clearly look like a giant photo yeah, that map, map painting or a set yeah work yeah it, i think because it was so visually recognizable that it just kind of made me go well we're still here you know and mm. i know that like it's again it wasn't striving for creating the sense of a real place this was no. quite a sort of i don't want to say ethereal because it was a bit too hard-edged for Could that you just pull that a little yeah sorry. sure uh, oh sorry it's all right you know it's a, it's an it's a loose podcast um it wasn't like ethereal because it was too hard edged. It was dreamlike, I think. I wouldn't say it was dreamlike though. That's the thing. Is like dreamlike to me is sort of very soft focusy, whereas this was really hard contrast edges to everything. Oh, everything was. I mean, literally concrete. There's yeah. a lot of concrete. Unlike all that, you know, like the bit when he is encounters the weird sisters for the second time, and there's that fucking cool geometric shape yeah. of the beams. Like I was like, that was great, and it, but it was like very. It felt like you know, tableau-ish, you know, it was like moving from strong image to strong image to strong image, yes. whereas like dreamlike and ethereal to me is more sort of like mutable stuff. Can I just say, mm. my God, that the witch. Yeah. I mean, she must have hypermobility. Yeah. She must be like a... a Flexible as hell. <laughs> she must be like Cirque Soleil or something. She Ooh. was, I mean, not only that, not only did she give this incredibly creepy performance with her body but her delivery mm. was stunning yeah like just it, it was interesting because she managed to do like so many different voices within a given range of being all three witches even though the three were one yeah i will say the moment where it, that this film really made me go all right, all right, all right. you know fr friends who have seen films with me before there's a moment where i go like a little like a little okay like a little jig of sort of like i'm up for this i literally did that which was the moment when she stood up in her cloak before the water pool and there was the other two reflections yeah. on either side beneath her but she wasn't reflected i was like that's one an incredible image two that's cool as hell so beautiful it's great it? and you're also like so that's sinister. very unsettling you're like oh so sinister yeah and there was so much clever stuff of like her mobility and her movement being evocative of birds like with no cg it was just yeah. like you know the bit when they went to leave they like raised their arms inside the cloaks to give the impression of wings and then the birds I mean, the birds were CGI. But yes. They were, the use of birds was really, really good. Mm. Um, and um, they were very sinister birds. They were. I, I think best use of bird for me had to be um, in the end of the Banquo scene where he leaves the banquet to chase after Banquo's ghost. He's busting into yeah. a room and he's like, he thinks he's being attacked by him. And then everyone walks in and he's just being assaulted by a bird which is flying around the room yeah and i was just like that's so good like because that's an expansion to that scene which again isn't normally in like a staged version of like having this you know usually it's like oh macbeth is seeing things and everyone's a bit confused and the queen dismisses everyone this was like macbeth is seeing things and just leaves 
which I thought was quite daring. It was like, they didn't do the thing of Banquo being in a chair at the table. No. It was like... I wondered how they would do it. Um, yeah. And I, I, at first, when he was just, you know, seeing him and we weren't seeing him, I thought, oh, that's going to be... It. But actually, it was really good because mm. to have him struggling and obviously seeing the ghost, but it, there's this bird flying around him, which, you know, is something that could happen. Yeah. But because we know of the use of birds being symbolic of magic and the witches all yeah. the way through. You know, it clearly it's another enchantment. But yeah. it's done so well. And then she walks past him and opens the window. Just wordlessly. And the bird flies out. Yeah. Very, I mean, oh my goodness. There were lots of little bits of like connective tissue in this yeah. that were added in that just really, really sold it coming together, you know. It did. It just did. like marvellous, marvellous stuff. So Denzel Washington... Um, I, I, I want to say, like, he's, you know, a very much like an elder statesman actor at this point. You know, he's very well respected and he's done his time and lots of other stuff. This was really... I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed his performance specifically quite as much as I have in this. Because I especially felt, especially towards the end, like I said especially twice there, um, his bit of being, like, the mad king, I thought that was so good. yes. Um, I, to start with, and, and this is very trivial, but it's just something catches your eye and then mm. you can't stop singing. To start with, like in the very first scenes, I was thrown off because the line of his belt mm. was really unflattering and gave like a pot belly look. Yeah. And I kept being slightly distracted from his perfectly fine delivery by the line of his belt. Yeah. Because it just wasn't, I just felt... I just think the costume designer should have just slightly raised it like a couple of inches. Yeah. Um, but, um, and the, f the fact that I was distracted by that, I think he wasn't, I mean, I th his motor was not in, you know, he wasn't in full power. Then. No, he yeah. Full he definitely builds dramatically over yeah, the course yeah. of the film. And um, by the end, you're like, holy crap. But like, I think you really felt that he was like, now we're motoring in the scene where he was talking to the two um, guys he set on the to assassins. Murder Banquet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, he's like, I am now your badass Scarface or yeah. whatever. I am the bad, I am the tyrant now. Yeah, and he was also, he. Um, I mean, I'm not that familiar with his, I've seen like one film with him in before. Um, with his oeuvre, but he has played a lot of like serious good guys. Yeah, yeah. And I felt he was really enjoying inhabiting as an actor. He really was conveying somebody who has been corrupted. Yeah, yeah. Because he went from this sort of quite quiet, softly spoken version of it, of Macbeth. You know, who, as I said, like felt a little bit passive, wasn't yeah. quite sure what he was doing, and it wasn't until he like got the space to express those doubts and be like, okay, now I'm like you know, we'll go no further in this business and have that scene with Francis McDormand. Like, I think once he got to unfold it and, like, really get into the villain category, you're just like, oh, oh. He did a villain very well. Mm -hmm. He really did. I also want to give tremendous props to the uh, fight scene they had in the throne room. Like, I was impressed threefold by three things, right? The first thing that really impressed me is I liked that... The whole I cannot be killed by man born of woman wasn't necessarily confirmed as a magical enchantment, but it gave him this confidence. Like, he doesn't take up a sword. He beats the guy without a sword. And it's great, because you're just like, 
He's got no fear of the blade. He's just, you know, manipulating this person with his spacing and his movement. I was just like, that's really well done. And then um, what I I thought, the part, they're out, they go out. Wait, 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 can I I finish about this scene first? Yeah. The second thing that really impressed me is that they made the choice to film it in like a good wide shot so you could see all of the action really clearly. It was well choreographed and everybody moved really, really well, which also impressed me because... Often, you know, in, you know, Hollywood films or like, you know, in the West broadly, we tend to do fight scenes very like high editing rate, a lot of cuts to sort of mask when people get hit. Whereas with like, you know, East Asian and Hong Kong cinema, it's a lot more sort of like longer takes being able to actually see clearly what people do. And they mirrored that in this film, which was excellent because I was like, I understand how this fight is working and I'm understanding the power balance of what's going on. I I thought both the fight with the first guy yeah whatever his name was I think yeah um and but then when he what I was about to say was when he was out in the sort of narrow yeah uh, the battlements the battlements fighting McDuff, McDuff yeah that was amazing because I thought that's a fight where you really feel this is two men who are panting and gasping and struggling and yeah. and it's claustrophobic very yeah. claustrophobic in these battlements in the mist in the middle of nowhere mm. but you th- i i really was thinking there must have been so many moments when you have exactly this where you you're both got these great big pieces of metal mm. and you are you are literally trying to stick this piece of metal into the other person in this tiny little crushed space and it is you or him and mm. you have no choice and i thought that that it genuinely felt like a real fight yeah the desperation yeah the sweatiness it was very it gripping. was great the yeah. last thing about the first fight that i really liked which actually comes back into your thing of noticing the way that Denzel Washington was quite large in this mm. is that I really liked the way that he was so solid in that scene. He was solid. Because the, the the bit that really sold it for me is that like he's moving quickly and like, you know, gracefully and everything to dodge these guys' attacks, but then he's just like slapping him and making fun of him. And then he gives him this big shove. And he did the thing of like the way he carried himself and the way he used the weight of his body, because he's quite a big dude in this film. Not like jacked big but he's like clearly you know it's like soldier who's just slightly gone to seed a little yeah, bit yeah. you know but it felt like that he was this really heavy presence and then he chucks the guy his sword and i love the little thing of flicking the blood in his eyes and then just stabbing him i was like that it was such a lovely little scene i was like that in, in isolation is absolutely tremendous filmmaking that was one of my favorite moments it was so everything about it i was just like this is so well done just Really, like, whoever their fight choreographer was, was very... like, clearly was just like, we know what we're working with here. We know the story we want to tell with this action. You know, because they stop talking and they just do the fight. And... Yeah, but great. the way that that fight led into the other fight. Exactly. Really, uh, I mean, as you said, absolutely. But it was so, it really did come across as this, you know, I mean, he, he... he when you think about it, Macbeth, the character, is somebody who has been fighting for most of his life. Yeah. He would be like that. He's very experienced, He, but he is, as you say, he's a, a big old bloke, probably a bit over the hill, but he knows a trick or two. Yeah. And which is exactly the way it was played. Yeah. But then out, like on, out on the battlements, <laughs> they're really struggling, but he is undermined mentally yeah. by the fact that Macduff has revealed that this belief he's had is... is is founded and of course what always strikes me when 
you get to that bit of the play mm. is, well, you know, excuse me, obviously um, everybody is still from woman born, yeah. even if they come out. Even if it's a C-section, even yeah. Even if it's a C-section. Um, excuse me, the woman concern would still be very much part of the process. <laughs> Mother Macduff be like, excuse me. <laughs> but not necessarily born, like, you know, as the lie says, from her, from her womb, untimely ripped. You know, so it's more like the action of the birth. But I, I agree. I also, I really loved that the crown fell off his head and he prioritised picking up the crown rather than defending himself. Because yeah. I'm like, that's Macbeth as a character. Yeah. There you go. Like, he was more invested in that than, the, you know, at that point than the cost of his own life. Yeah. Um, other things that I really liked, um, the, shot, the establishing shot for the beginning of Lady Macbeth's madness scene where she's just stood on a cliff. Oh, that's that, so dramatic. Just like such a beautiful, beautiful shot. Incredible. Like, I mean, uh, um, there was no doubt about it. In this is an intensely visual film mm. where clearly the not only the director but you know the cinematographer they're just like we're going to just be elegant as fuck while also, um conveying that this is a very violent dirty story yeah um but it's the sh there's so many shots where i was just like i kept thinking i'd love to have a postcard of yeah. that oh god yeah <laughs> like it, you know if you for people who like you know are like you know cinematographer you know like whoa yeah like a good strong image this movie is like fucking wall to wall one thing i loved as well just a very small thing the um is this a dagger i see before me scene where like it's an indistinct shape that's the handle of the door that is the dagger, but it's far enough away in the depth of field and that you can't really see it clear. And you're like, is it a dagger? Yeah. And he's walking towards it. And, and the, the light steps... just, just glimmers on it. Yeah. yeah. And like, and as he's walking through with the arches, like intimately lighting him and then putting him in shadow, then lighting and putting him in yeah. shadow, illustrating his like, you know, slip into darkness as he goes towards oh, this I dark mean, portal. Yeah, as you said earlier. Visual the use, storytelling. The use of arches all the way through. Oh, man. Just... Incredible. There was one bit, I'm trying to remember where it was, but there's one bit where um, he thinks he's on his own and then the Bertie Carvel character, basically, they're, they're, he's on his own with the arches and then he just comes out and he says the part of the arch has come away. Yeah. And that image yeah. just of, and I tell you, I, I tell you what it does remind me of, um, and I'm sure you can think of other comparisons as well, but the filmmaking, it reminds me of those um, Russian films mm. a bit. Like Tarkovsky kind of stuff? Um, um, I'm thinking of like um, Ivan the Terrible and so on, okay. where you've got like these very dramatic shots. There's, I mean, it's ages since I saw it, obviously, mm. but there's this bit where, you know, he's going obviously about to, do something horrible to somebody being terrible and perhaps he, and <laughs> he comes around this corner in a corridor and it's his shadow and all you see is this huge shadow mm. and it's this little man but this huge shadow and this arm reaching out and obviously it's because he's becoming this tyrant yeah and it's and it's russian symbolism visual know. storytelling yeah. yeah but it was it, there i mean again you know, I was showing you the thing I've done of Zoe and mm. saying I was thinking of German woodcuts and this reminded me... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, oh, absolutely. Yeah, of, very much the same thing of this high contrast, hard edges, yeah. like, you know, light and shadow in proximity. Like, just really fucking solid filmmaking. Um, Brendan Gleeson. I thought... Uh, Brendan Gleeson, sorry. I thought did a good job as Duncan. It was interesting because I felt like he was... 
you know, there's often the thing to make him the good king, but I think in this there was a very conscious effort to make him feel, like, quite tired and melancholy. Like, it felt, you know, very heavy as the head that wears the crown kind of I thing. I thought he spoke the verse absolutely beautifully. Oh, yeah. Just wonderful delivery. Yeah. And, like, lots of little subtle bits with the ways that, you know, he interacted with other characters and stuff. I was just like, God, you're bloody good, Brendan. You know, just like, oh, yeah, cool. There's one reason why he's just a really fucking good actor. Yeah, but I liked that he felt a little bit sad and they made a bit more of, like, his sense of betrayal at the Thane of Cawdor is like, you know, he was a person upon which I built an absolute trust. Because I've seen versions of that where other actors playing Duncan have said that line and it's very kind of like skated over. Mm. And he said it with such like fucking he was, weary. He was sad about betrayal. Yes. Yeah. And and of course, then you know that he's going to be betrayed yeah. much more thoroughly. It felt like a so, much more solid thematic idea of like... Yeah. Treachery, and, and, but and it was just treachery. then again, I'm just like, he was, he, it's just, he's like, it was a delicate performance. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, and there's Malcolm just being there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, poor guy, but I just He didn't do anything wrong, but I, the problem was he was, he was in a cast of exceptional quality. Yeah, it was an incredible cast and I felt he was not, he, um, he, he, he was not a bad He's not a bad guy. <laughs> it's just that he was adequate. Yeah. And you, you really needed exceptional to. You really needed exceptional. And it's, I mean, it did show up, especially in the scene with Macduff, who, you know, had a very. Was, he was so good. He was very good. He really sold that. Like, you know, and again, like, you know, but, the mean, line I... of like, all my pretty ones, all my little chickens and their hair and taken at a swoop. It's like. That can, you know, because of the nature of the language, it can feel a little overwrought, but he managed to deliver it in such a way that I think it, it felt was, real. It was uh, another another reason I thought at the time why that worked very well is because they actually broke that speech up. So he said like the first bit and then he sort of broke off and was looking away yeah. as though he was overcome. Like and controlling then, his emotions. Yeah, and then he came care. back again. And that's what people do. They go, da-da, da-da. Yeah. Da-da, da-da, like that. And I thought he got that rhythm very well of the person who's trying to absorb the terrible news. Mm. And it's just Markham's just going wibble. And it's it's just, I I know, I'm sorry to pick on him because he's not, it's just that it was an exceptional cast and I just think he was miscast. Mm. Um, You know, it's the old thing. There are no small parts. And I just think because it was such a spare production, everybody had to be, a hundred percent. Yeah. And he was like sixty percent. He was like outclassed, you know. There's yeah. there's no shame in being outclassed by some of the best actors of, you know, today. Like But it would have just been nice if he just that one if he could have just lifted the baton slightly higher. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought the little boy Flounce was very good. I loved the way that he was instinctively um shrinking away from Macbeth. Um, from Macbeth and going round behind his father yeah. when his father hadn't realised he knew that this was not a good man well again in the visual yeah. storytelling thing like when they walk into the scene you know entering that scene and then they hear you know he says who goes there and he says a friend and you have the man with the torch on the left side of the screen and then Macbeth walks out of this completely pitch black doorway and is still lit in shadow and he's this sort of you know slightly intimidating shadowy figure coming towards them and you're like oh I wonder what this could possibly be referencing that may happen you know it's like ah, it's very 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 good so 
Um, I'm just going to check where we are in the recording because it is a little late, you know. That's 35 minutes. That's solid. Um, are there any other particular points before we move on to final thoughts? Is there any other particular points you want to bring up at this juncture? Um, Because we covered the witches. We got, I will say, sorry, great. We, I don't think I lingered enough on the scene where he sees the witches again, um, which did, like, again, the surrealist aspects of, like, I liked that he didn't go and find them. I liked that they came to him. And I liked, you know, that the room he was in kind of flooded and there was no cauldron. Mm, mm. Like, great stuff. And that, oh god, that pond was so creepy. And then when it vanished, I loved the way that Drain. it was going or draining away through the actual stones that were still there. Yeah. And also, did you see he actually cast a, you know, he was he was seeing it go away. Yeah. He was... I wonder if that was like an actual full set thing, like, you know, because... It could have been CG, in which case it was pretty well done CG. Well, if it was, he... he Sold it really well. Yeah. yeah. But he, you know, he was looking at the floor and, and then he looked again and I thought that was done. But the whole of that scene was so, so good. Yeah. I mean... And shot in such an interesting way because they're consistently above him on the rafters. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, but when you think of how those witches were done, how the witches were done in the John Sim production... I don't even remember how they were. Weren't they all, weren't they all on big CGI things? No, they, they were done like sort of um, stroppy teenagers. Oh, yeah. They were like, ooh, we're young. And the way they're wearing like weird, yeah, you know. And, and sort of goth outfits. Yeah. And that's when I could audibly hear Linda going, oh, <laughs> God, no. I mean, the, I mean, my, I, you know well, my favourite version of The Witches was from... Um, the version of Macbeth I saw on the fringe um, ooh, when I was like about 16 years old, but it made a massive impression on me because that was like a super stripped down version of Macbeth. There was almost no spoken dialogue. I think there were like maybe 20 or 30 lines in the whole show. Um, and it was all like done visually. The witches in that were wearing like these sort of brown leather dresses with like sort of beekeeper hats with really thick veils that completely obscured their faces. They never spoke they just carried these giant wooden football rattles that they would just go. <laughs> oh, I've startled the dog. <laughs> and they would make this horrendous clacking noise as a way, as a method of speaking. And it was so intimidating because you're just like, because you know the play, or, you know, because it's fucking Macbeth, you know what they're saying. But you have Macbeth and Banquo reacting to this guttural, horrible noise said by these weird, mm. faceless shapes. I was like, that's so good, you yeah. know. I I like it when the witches are like a when people use the opportunity of the witches to really get weird because it's a really fun sequence where like we're going on a full on trip out moment and I was just like yeah and this film definitely took advantage of that. It did, it did. Mm. Um, and you know that you you didn't that was the they the supernatural element was all associated with the witches because as mm. we said you didn't have Banquo's ghost. No. Um, or rather you see him walk past a door and that's it and then he's and then we see like some a couple of intercut shots from Macbeth's perspective of which was actually I noticed um, I think just recut used footage from when Banquo fought with the assassins because he was armed with a torch and it was very like I think they just used like a couple of instants from the footage that they'd already filmed of that fight scene and intercut it with Macbeth reacting to it like he's experiencing Banquo's death 
out of guilt. I, did you, I didn't see him walk past the door. Did he walk past yeah, yeah, yeah. The door? So what, what happened is when they, when they bade him sat, there was a crash yeah. of um, glass yeah. and then a bird flew by. Yeah, I saw and, that. And he saw that and he sort of looked at it. And then Banquo with a torch walked past really quickly. Like you could barely oh. see that it was him. Oh, well, I missed that. Yeah, like he literally, he goes like, vroom, like he's walking. And I, I was like, oh, okay, you know. And I thought, oh, that's how they're doing the ghost. But then I was always interested that he's pursuing him. And then you never see Banquo again. Oh, oh apart so that's from why in those... he went out of the room. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. That was so clever and so subtle. <laughs> <I missed> it, <laughs> completely. it literally was kind of like blink and you'll miss it kind yeah. of stuff. Because well, it was literally only for an did. instant. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to move us to final thoughts. Mum, would you like to give your final thoughts on Macbeth by Joel Cohen? Well, I'm really glad I suggested it because... Mm. Um, I wanted to see it anyway, and I would probably have gone to see it, but it's added a whole other dimension to go and see it with you because mm -hmm. it's always good um, to have the ideal companion. And I think <laughs> that, you know, it, I, I thought it would be very much your bag. Oh, very much Having my seen bag. the trailer yeah. when I was at the cinema last time. Um, and I think it's a stylistic and artistic triumph. And, um, you know, particular credit, as I said, you know, I think my favourite was... Francis McDormand, because mm. I thought she was, and the and the witches. The witches was the witch was so good, like yeah. she was incredible. But you know the whole cast, as we said, was amazing, and um, Denzel Washington at the end was absolutely terrifying, mad bull, and having a whale of a time. Like, oh God, yes. You could just see that he's just like, this is great. I get to be fucking mental. I think I feel felt like he really enjoyed that cream faced loon. <laughs> Like when he sat, he sat boisterously on the throne, being all like, speak, report. When he's yelling for, I love the bit when he's like, bring me my armor. And the Satan's like, oh, Jesus, you know, it's just like, it felt, he felt so out of control, which yeah, I loved. You, and also because you've heard all the stuff about that he's done all these things and you're like, yeah, this guy absolutely could. This guy, yeah. Stalin, he could do anything. Yeah, it's fucking great. Um, yeah, and for my final thoughts, um, I one of the things that really struck me when I was watching this, because we've had it, we had a bit of dis of a discussion over dinner about like you know, I got on my soapbox about the sort of hegemony of like you know the summer blockbuster model of there being like you know three major production studios that put stuff out, and I was like, this is a classic story that has been told and retold a bunch of times, but it was really fun and interesting to see a you know a different kind of take on it in a film that used the power of cinema really, really well mm. to accentuate the strengths of the story. They got actors in who clearly knew what they were doing. And it just felt like this didn't, it, it didn't need to work hard to impress me because it was naturally really impressive. And I was just kind of thinking of like, I'd like to see more of this kind of thing of like sort of these more considered kind of artistic takes on, you know, stories that maybe we already know, but in ways of, you know, tweaking them a little, adding in some extra stuff, different bits of connective tissue. It felt fresh, you know, which is weird for a story that's like, you know, 400 yes, years I, old. Yes, I, I think fresh is the word, actually. Um, fresh like a smack across the face in places. <laughs> um, but I, I do think also, you know, we obviously have seen Macbeth a lot, mm. but it, I think you could take, like, um, students to that who hadn't seen it before and hopefully do nothing about it and i think they would get it and i think they would go back to school and they'd be like yeah we want to do this play yeah yeah it, it really showed where the fun in this this sort of stuff is you know in a you know dark way like in the sort of enjoyable performance aspects but anyway um that's it thank you for listening i'm bad at ending the show 
Um, oh, uh, oh, ha- no, not oh, happy dagger. That's Romeo and Juliet. 